We are continuing the series on the health and the mission of the church, and we do not have to guess what our mission is. Once again, uh, we have been given marching orders by Jesus himself that has told us what to do. Everything exists for the glory of God. We exist for him. And that includes uh, primary things that he has told us in what is considered the Great Commission, which is in uh, the Gospel of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Let me read this. I'll read a few verses coming up to it as well, too. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. This is after Jesus died, after he's uh, raised from the dead to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's one God. He exists as a trinity. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we notice here at the core of this, it says, go therefore and make disciples. If we think of something that is obviously indefinitely and without negotiation, part of our mission as a church is to make disciples. And it's not just to grow as disciples. That is something we were called to do too. That's discipleship. But it says make disciples. So people that were not disciples first, we are in the process of making them, turning them into disciples, into followers of Christ. So when we talk about our mission, the way that we've worded it, and uh, you see it in the bulletin sometime, our mission is to magnify the glory of God by multiplying and maturing followers of Christ. In other words, to glorify God through evangelism and discipleship. And so if discipleship uh, is part of our growing uh, as followers of Christ, if discipleship is our, our mission to those that are, to each other that are already saved, uh, evangelism, what we're going to talk about today, is our mission to those that are not already saved, to those that are still uh, in, in their sin, that have not experienced forgiveness of their sin through Jesus Christ. And they need to know about this message, to know how much God loves them, that forgiveness is possible, and to implore them to turn in repentant faith to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. So if we think about what a healthy church would be, one way we could sum this up is that a healthy church has an evangelistic heart for the lost and an outward focus. So we want to have an evangelistic heart. We're going to see Jesus had an evangelistic heart. And we want to have an outward focus, not just in on ourselves. Last week we talked about uh, the importance of carrying relationships in the body of Christ, and that is important. And we would be an unhealthy church if we didn't have that. And we are called to live out all those one and others. But it's not just having this inside and have this cloak in this family. We also have an outward focus and caring for the lost that are among us, that are in our community, that are in our families, that are, that are in the world, that need Jesus Christ as well too. And we would not be a healthy church if we didn't do this. And we would not be obedient to the Lord if we weren't working towards what he has told us to do. So I'm going to give you three points today as we, as we think about this together as a church and what God has called us to do. And we'll summarize uh, this first point is that we need to have Jesus' heart to seek and save the lost. We need to have this heart that, that Jesus Christ had to, uh, 
to evangelize the lost or to, to seek and save the lost. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Uh, we uh, cannot actually save them. Jesus saves them. But we can point them, we can bring them to the one that actually can save them. And that is Jesus Christ. Real quick, I think a few words to kind of define here, because we're going to talk about this, and I want to make sure that we uh, understand this. When we talk about a disciple, again, it means a learner, a follower. It's a way also of saying, this is somebody that is, um, is born again. Somebody that has trusted Jesus Christ, the Lord as Savior, and uh, that has received that forgiveness. And uh, has a, a born-again heart. They're, they're saved. We want people to uh, become that. Gospel, we heard that word said. The word gospel literally means good news. So this is an announcement of what Jesus Christ has done. And it's the message of salvation. That we're, we're telling people, we're announcing the offer of salvation. That because of what Jesus Christ did in our place on the cross, that salvation is available. And we want people to have that. So that's what the gospel uh, is. And then evangelism, we use that. Uh, evangelism can be defined as teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. And in Greek, actually, the word gospel is, or um, evangelism or evangel is basically the word for gospel. So it means proclaiming the gospel, telling people the gospel, uh, persuading them to embrace the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want to talk about some reasons why we should do this, some biblical reasons why we should care about this. And one is because we want God to be glorified. God's glory is the ultimate purpose in everything that we do. And so even when we think about evangelism, it's not just mere duty, and it's not even merely because we, we love and care about people, and we want to see them rescued from from their sin, from condemnation, from hell. That is important, that's good, but there's an even higher goal that we have is we want to see God glorified because we have come to love God. We've come to realize that he is the center of everything. Uh, he is our joy, our happiness. He deserves to be glorified and his glory is, is our good as well and the good of other people. And so we are doing this because we want to see more worshipers of Jesus Christ. We realize that he deserves more worshipers. When we think about what we're doing in evangelism is we're putting people back in relationship with the God that made them and helping them to uh, be reconnected with the God that made them for his glory. And our sin has disconnected us from God and, and put this blockage in there so that people don't experience God and experience his glory and their lives are empty because of that. And so by reconnecting them to the Lord, the Lord receives the glory, and we're helping people to uh, find their happiness in God, which is their happiness and his glory as well. What a good thing to be able to do for people. And when they find out about salvation, they find out it's a free gift of God, how much God loves them. Think how much God is glorified in their hearts when people are saved. How God's character is put on display through the message of salvation, that God loved us so much. God's glory is demonstrated in the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see God for who he is in all of his attributes, all of his glory. So we want to see God glorified. That could be, that could be enough. There's more. We're not content to keep the blessings of the gospel for ourselves. 
Okay, we're not like kids that go around on uh, Halloween and get a big bag of candy and want to hoard the candy for themselves. And they're happy that they have the candy and they're going to keep it. They don't want to give away any candy because that means they got less candy. We have received something incredible from the Lord, but we want other people to have this blessing as well. And it is not that we get less uh, joy when other people come to know the Lord too. It actually even gives us more joy, gives us more happiness as more and more people come to know the Lord as well too. We just, we can't keep these blessings to ourselves. We wouldn't want to. You know, when there's something that you really uh, love in your heart, oftentimes you want other people to experience that with you. You want other people to, to like that same thing, that same team, that same, you know, musical group, that same hobby, uh, and it adds to you as well. And there's something about us that when we love something, we just naturally want people to, to know that as well. How much more? If you come to know the Lord and to love him, do you want other people to just join in with that? We should never be content to keep it to ourselves. We are being obedient to Jesus' command. So there is something to say that this is our duty. You know, we have been told uh, from Jesus to go and make disciples. This is not a uh, optional thing. This isn't a suggestion. We're being told straight out to, to do this in Matthew 28 that we just saw. It's also part of Christ's likeness. I remember becoming a disciple of Jesus, a follower, means also that we're being changed to become like him. So if you're a Christian, uh, God's goal for you is to grow in Christ's likeness. And so if Jesus had a heart for people that are, that are lost and in their sin, then if we are growing to become more like Jesus Christ, then we also ought to and need to have that same heart. We see this all through the Gospels. Uh, Luke 15 has parable after parable that Jesus tells that communicates his, his, his care for the lost. Parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. Let me read a little bit from Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled and said, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus cares for the lost. He has that heart, and we should also. Also, we were once lost. Let's remember that. None of us came into this world saved. None of this world came into this world forgiven. Even if you feel like, well, you, you were raised in the church and from an early age. No, there was a point where somebody told you the message of salvation. And maybe it was your, your parents. I hope they did. Uh, maybe you heard it from the church or from Sunday school teachers. And that, that's great. But there was a point in time where somebody told you the message and you heard and God worked in your heart and you believed. In the same way, we recognize that, that we were once lost. And some, maybe it was much longer. And you look back in your life and you realize, you re do realize how much you're lost. But all of us, we were equally lost at one point in time. Because uh, before we are saved, we're all on the road to hell. And that's where we would have ended up. 
And whether we have the, the, the big sins or things that seem like small sins, but are actually big to God. Because even a small sin in our eyes uh, is an infinitely terrible sin because it's against a holy God who is perfect in all ways. And so we were once sinners. And so therefore we should have compassion on others. It's been said that evangelism... Uh, it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That we have found this, and we're just telling other people where they can find the same thing. So it's not arrogance. It's we have been rescued, and we found this, and we want other people that have the same need. Not that we're better, but it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And finally here, because we genuinely believe what the Bible says, if we really believe what the Bible says about eternity, about the fact that you, every person is going to exist forever and then we will either exist paying for our own sins in a place that the Bible gives the name hell and is described as a lake of fire eventually that is not fun, that is not a good thing, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God or we can be forgiven and have joy forevermore that heaven is also a real place. And the glory of heaven is not streets of gold. It's that our ultimate treasure, the Lord, is there. And then ultimately there's the, the new heaven and the new earth that we spend eternity on, just enjoy forever. And how different these eternities are depending on if one has a savior from their sin or if one has said, no, I, I don't want a savior for my sin. I'm going to stand and pay for my own sin. Think of the things that Scripture says that Jesus says. That Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through me. Other people might say, well, there are many paths to God. That there are, just, there, there are many trails that lead to the top of the mountain. And so all kinds of different religions lead the same way. And Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Not one of many. And when we understand who he is, that makes sense. The only way that we could be saved is the fact that the Son of God was sent and came down voluntarily and became a human being so that the God-man, fully God, fully man, would die on the cross in our place. No other religion has that offers that. There's only one way. As it says in Scripture in Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you really believe that? If we really believe that, this is going to give an urgency because it's saying that there is no other hope for people. That people will either stand before God as judge one day with Jesus or they will stand uh, before God and Jesus being received uh, with him as as Savior, as Lord, as treasure. I want to show you a short video clip. And I've showed this before, so some of you may have seen this, but I think this is totally worth seeing again. Uh, maybe you've heard of um, the Penn and Teller uh, Magic Group, and maybe you've seen them on TV at times, or uh, they, uh, they do shows in Vegas. Uh, they're pretty well known. And there's a video clip I saw uh, several years ago of Penn Gillette who is uh, one of these uh, famous illusionists. And he is going to talk in this video about a time that after one of his shows in Las Vegas, 
where somebody uh, approached him uh, with the gospel message. Now, he's going to use the word proselytize, and we don't usually use that word. We say evangelize, but proselytize means to try to make a convert, and he's using this, and he's going to talk about this experience, and I think this is worth watching this video. I think it's convicting. And remember, this is not coming from somebody that is a Christian. This is coming from somebody that describes himself as an atheist. Well, watch this. See what you think about this. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props in the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and... Um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And, uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to...
believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And... Uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. And that's just really convicting. How much would you hate to, how much would you have to hate someone not to proselytize, not to evangelize? if you really believe this. Second point, we need to get the gospel right and we need to get the gospel out. If we're going to be a healthy church, we need both of these things to happen. I mean, listen, there's no use getting the gospel right if we don't get the gospel out. And there's no use getting the gospel out if we don't get the gospel right. If we're doing a great job with a gospel that's unclear or that's false, that is not a good thing. So yeah, we need to get the gospel right. This is foundational. We need to be a church that is, we're clear on the gospel. We understand what it is. And I'd love to say that uh, every Christian across the world, you know, understands this. You know, but there are whole denominations with, uh, with doctrinal statements, with false gospels uh, that teach that it's a matter of works. Maybe you have to have faith, but you also have to work for your salvation as well too. And that's part of it. And I think that's also just the natural inclination that we have as well, too. That, okay, you have to believe in God, but it's also, you know, you be a good person. And if uh, your goodness outweighs, you know, your sin, then God will let you in one day. And as long as you didn't commit the big sins or something like that. We need to be really clear that the gospel is uh, by Christ alone. That's through grace alone. And it's received by faith alone, by trusting Jesus Christ, uh, re- receiving him, it's, and this is not a work, as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us. There are a lot of people that are really confused about the gospel as well, too. Uh, you used to have many churches that held to what was called the social gospel, that the, me- the uh, mission of the church, the good news, was to reform society. And if you think that's went away, it, it hasn't. It just comes back in different forms. And now there are, are so many people who uh, will say that they believe the gospel is ultimately about uh, social justice or changing society or, or doing good deeds in the world. And sometimes those are sometimes good things that we can be doing, uh, but are those the gospel themselves? Or is that maybe at best an outflow of the gospel in our changed lives? So we think about what the gospel is. Again, it's something that we don't have to guess what it is because 
the Bible has made it really clear what the good news is. And I'm going to go with what, uh, let's say the Apostle Paul very clearly teaches us what the gospel is. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this, and I think it makes it so clear that this is the gospel. This is the good news that he proclaimed. Paul wrote this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. So it needs to be preached and it needs to be received, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, okay, first importance, what I also received, he didn't make this up, he received it, he's passing it along, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then the passage goes on to talk about how he appeared to uh, so many people and there were eyewitnesses of this. This is something that really happened. This wasn't just a a fantasy thing. This wasn't just a uh, make-believe story, but something that happened in time and space. But I have highlighted here the gospel that he preached. If If we took five words of this that were the core of it, okay, uh, the core of this gospel message that uh, you couldn't remove any of these words and still have it really be the gospel. But it's that Christ died for our sins. This is a message that we're proclaiming to people. This is a message that I try to tell you every single week and that if you believe this, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that you can be saved by accepting, by believing that. So if we think about the gospel message, um, think about each word in that phrase, Christ died for our sins. It talks about sins. This is part of the good news. We have to start talking about uh, the good news doesn't make sense until you know what the bad news is. And the bad news is that, well, God has made us, okay, and God is, is good, God is holy, but the bad news is that we have rebelled against him. And that we have sinned, every single one of us. And sin is not just a matter of, well, I guess everyone sins, big deal. No, it really is a big deal. It really does matter. We, have all, we are all guilty of rebelling against the holy God who made us for his glory. We should be living for his glory, but we don't. We sin against God, we rebel against him. So that needs to be a part of it. Otherwise, it comes across that the gospel is just, Jesus wants to give you a better life. He wants to give you your best life now. Make it so you can find the best parking spots and drive the nice car and have health and wealth and happy relationships. Oh, at the, the core, this is about our sin. It's about more than that, but it is about our sin. We are rebels. This is what we're being saved from. Somebody's not going to really care about the lifeguard saving them until they realize that they're drowning. Christ, Christ died for our sins. There's no gospel if we don't pinpoint this on Jesus Christ. There's no other name that is given by which we must be saved. He's the only Savior there is. And so people need to understand who Jesus Christ is, that he is the eternal Son of God, that he's always been God, that he came down into this world and became also a human being, so that he's now the God-man, 100% God, and now 100% real human being so that he could do what he needed to do for us. And that he came and he lived the perfect life. He was sinless. And he walked this earth about 2,000 years ago, 
Christ died for our sins. Christ died. He, he lived a perfect life, and then he suffered, and he died on the cross. And it says also he was buried. He was raised again. That's also you know, part of this too. Uh, but he did, he died on the cross. And then we need to explain why he died on the cross. Was it just he was setting an example of his love? That he died because, well, humanity sure didn't like him, and that's just what happened. Uh, no, he died for our sins. This for our part is important, that he died as a substitute for sinners. That Jesus died as a substitute for sinners, that all who trust in Christ for their salvation are saved by grace alone. He saved as a free gift received through faith alone. I think also when we're explaining the gospel message, uh, that's also when we look at scripture as a whole, they also need to understand grace alone through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, great passage for that. Uh, that it's not, Jesus died for us, now turn over a new leaf and, you know, try harder. Uh, no, it's, it's a free gift given. And so the, if you are going to heaven, the only reason for that is because Jesus lived a perfect life and died in your place as your substitute. He rose again on the third day. But he did all the work. And therefore he gets all the credit, he gets all the glory for it. And faith means turning to him and repentant faith, trusting. It's not just mere belief, but that we're relying, you're relying on Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. Not some ceremony, not baptism, not good works, not that you said some magic spell, not joining, um, going through some ceremony or man-made thing, but relying on Jesus Christ alone. So we need to make sure that we are getting the gospel right this is important. The goal is not merely to explain the gospel so that it, it can be understood. I mean, the goal that we want to have is to explain the gospel so well that it can't be misunderstood. Because in our sin, it's so easy for people to misunderstand it, especially with the blinders of sin that we have. And we also pray for God to remove those blinders. But to be a healthy church, the gospel, it needs to be clear and at the core of everything that we do. You know, our worship is because of the gospel. Our discipleship is because of the gospel. We're grateful to him. We're not here trying to earn our salvation, you know, singing so that, oh, please accept me if I, if I sing loud enough and well enough. And we're singing out of grateful hearts as people that have been redeemed, have been forgiven. We grow in the Christian life by his grace that is, that is based on the gospel. We're thankful every day because we're, we're not in hell like we deserve. Uh, but no matter how bad our day is, we can be happy, we can be glad in him because God is treating us better than we deserve. Everything is the core of our gospel, is, is at the core because of the gospel message. We forgive each other, all these different things. So to be healthy as a church, the gospel has to be core of everything. So we need to get the gospel right and we need to get the gospel message out. If there was the, the bubonic plague that was going around, you know, and when that happened through Europe, uh, sometimes, you know, 50% of people died of the bubonic plague. Let's say we got the bubonic plague going again, and you have the antidote for the plague, and it is affecting everyone. People are dropping dead, and you, you have this, and you're just keeping it to ourselves? That would be an awful thing. What good would be the antidote for the plague if you don't get it to the plague victims? So it's like we have the antidote for, for sin, the antidote for uh, the, the consequences, all these things that, that would... Uh, take away the, the wrath of God that we deserve. 
But if we don't get it to people, it's not helping them. You know, the gospel is a message. It's the good news. It's a message, so we need to get it out. We need to tell it. That means that at some point you need to use words. There's a while where people were loving to quote uh, quote by Francis of Assisi that said, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. And what people meant by that is uh, that maybe some people, it was all about preaching and living a nice life and a good example. Now we should live a lifestyle that is going to make the gospel seem beautiful. If you are living your life like a jerk to everyone around you, that's not going to help them to embrace the gospel message. Okay? If you are just always, you know, bitter in life, you're mad at everyone, you're always complaining, uh, just, you know, your, your heart is just full of, you know, guile, that is not going to make the Lord seem very attractive. Like, wow, I want to be a worshiper of Jesus like you because uh, you seem absolutely miserable every single day. Uh, so there is something about our life, we get that, but people aren't going to look at your life and say, wow, you were a nice person, you, you held the door for me, you said a nice thing. That must mean that I'm a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that came down and died on the cross for me. And I can receive this uh, gift of his grace. At some point, that needs to be told to them. Words are necessary. We do need to use words. It is the good news. Yeah, back it up with your life, but we need to use words. There's only one gospel, but there are many legitimate ways to try and get it to people, to try and connect with them. It's not just one evangelistic you know, method. And there's different stages people are at. There's things we need to do to try to uh, you know, connect with them. We have trunk or treat coming, okay? And sometimes people need that first step of um, walking into the door of a church. And that might be something that, okay, maybe they'll have a conversation with somebody. Maybe they'll read the, the gospel uh, tract that we put in the, the kids' bags that we do. Uh, but maybe also it'll be something that makes them realize, hey, I could come back here. Maybe I should go to church. You know, maybe somebody that uh, is at this event that is thinking evangelistically and is that maybe you come to this because you don't even have kids, but you want to talk to people. You want to welcome them to have a good experience when they're here. And maybe God uses that so that they come. They start sitting under the word of God. You know, we have different um, you know, events that we have as church, but also talking to them, helping them. Uh, there are people that may never darken the door of this church until one of you befriends them starts a conversation, is working in their life. So when we think about how to do this evangelism, it's not a matter, is evangelism something we do as individuals or is it something we do as a church? I think it's both. We should be trying to do this as individuals, but also as the church body as well too. And so if you bring somebody to church, they're going to hear the gospel message every single week. Okay, It's my goal, it's part of it. We've already had it today. Um, and some people are going to need to sit under the word of God for many weeks before it starts to make sense. And we have evangelistic events. But don't just like, well, that's the church's job. Because we have here hundreds of missionaries, okay? It's not just when we bring in a missionary to speak. Uh, we're going to have uh, John Dannenberg here next week because it's not just local evangelism but global evangelism. But you guys are missionaries to your community, to your families, to the workplace, wherever God has you. In your going, make disciples. And there are people that would talk to you that would not want to talk to me. 
Some people get weird about the pastor when they find out it's a pastor. Uh, they either um, freak out or they start faking it. Um, but maybe they'll talk to you. And maybe you have that opportunity to uh, help explain things to them and to be at work in their lives. So evangelism, we do it individually and as a church. We do it locally and we do it globally. And finally, as we think about this, this is a mindset we need to have as a church is that we are to be a lighthouse, not a clubhouse. This is a matter of the mentality that we need to have as a church. A clubhouse exists for its members, has an inward focus. What are the benefits? So this church, this country club that we have here, what are, what are the benefits if I'm a part of it? What's in it for me? But a lighthouse exists for others. A lighthouse, by definition, is an outward focus. Let me read you something. This is not in the Bible, and I don't know who originally wrote this, but this is helpful. It's called The Parable of the Life-Saving Station. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were often, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for their own safety, went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of the people who were saved, and various others in the surrounding community, wanted to become associated with the life-saving station and to give of their time and their money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained, and the little life-saving station grew. Some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so small and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those being saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. So they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they use it as a sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired a professional lifeboat crew who were specifically trained to do this work. And the life-saving motif still prevailed this club's decorations, and a ceremonial miniature lifeboat was placed in the room in honor of all of those people who had been saved in the past. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. And the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. And some of them were from a foreign country and couldn't speak the language. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee of the life-saving station called an emergency meeting and decided to build a shower house outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up and properly instructed of the rules of the life-saving station before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Other members, however, insisted that life-saving was the primary purpose of the club. They pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station, but they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, then they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. 
as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred with the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Church, what do we want to be? What are we called to be? You know, our relationship with each other is important. Our fellowship, our care for each other, being a family, that is important. But if that's all we are, then we will devolve into just a club. We are not here to be a country club. We are not here to be a social club with each other. We have been given a task to rescue people from hell, to snatch people from the fire, like we have been snatched from the fire. We didn't deserve it. And praise God for whoever in your life introduced you to Jesus Christ and explained the gospel message to you. And God wants to use you and I and us together as instruments for this purpose, be saving people. Heaven is real. God is real. Hell is real. Eternity is real. This is what we're called to do. Let me give you, just at the end here, a few quick applications. There's more. I hope you're thinking about these things as well. Look to people to reach out to. You've got to notice. Who are people that are around you? Who are people? It might be family. It might be friends. It might be others in your community, in your workplace that you could be used. Think how to do that. What makes sense? Is it inviting them to church? Is it striking up a conversation, building a relationship? How fast do you need to go? How much patience, the long game do you need to have? But be aware of who are the people that you could be reaching. Otherwise, we get blind to this, blind to the world around us that needs Jesus Christ. Build relationships. Evangelism so often happens best when there are connections with people. Now, some have taken it to the extreme when it's all about relationships and you spend, you know, 25 years, you know, building a relationship and never actually get around to telling them about Jesus Christ. And then by then you're so worried about wrecking the relationship that you don't want to bring up Jesus. So you don't want to swing to that end. But the people that you can build relationships to, yeah, show them kindness, show them interest so that uh, your words will have more weight, that they know that you care about them so that the invitations, the conversations that you have do matter because they're not just a project, but you're building a relationship with them. Open your mouth. The gospel is a message. And maybe it's your literal mouth, maybe it's writing a message. But there comes a point where we need to say something at the right time, in the right way, with the right words. And this can involve conversations. It doesn't have to be maybe shouldn't be just listen to me preach at you, but conversations, we're hearing from them, understanding, using questions, finding out where they're at, uh, having interest in them. Uh, sometimes those questions will help them to realize they don't have all the answers. Invitations to talk to you, invitations to come to church, come to an outreach event, testimonies. Learn to talk about how God saved you, how to tell your story, and that can be something that God uses in other people's lives to help them. When you talk about that you were once lost, but now you're found, that you have been rescued. And look for teachable moments. 
sometimes you can pray and kind of lean into making those happen, but there are times where it's like, it's not the right time to talk to somebody, but look for those times, pray for those times. And then when those times happen, you, you've got to talk to them. You have to say what you need to and ask God to help you with that. I think one thing is also invite people to come to church with you. I think for a lot of people, it's going to take coming to church and sitting in church, probably not just, it's not going to usually just one time where I haven't heard of God and one time they come and they're saved. It's going to be, we've used the analogy of like football, that if salvation is like getting a touchdown, uh, that most of the time it's a process of working him down the field, you know, trying to get another set of downs so you can keep that going and not getting a turnover. But it takes time to do this. And through that, you're also talking to them, hopefully, you know, talking about uh, things that you've learned, things that questions they might have, being patient with them as well, too. And that means not expecting, you know, everyone that comes to church uh, to, to have it all together and to be, you know, uh, you know, perfect Christians. We need to be okay with some mess because we care about people that much that we're okay putting up with it. We want to be welcoming and sensitive. I think this is true for us individually in conversations. I mean, if you're, boldness is good, but if you're just brash and insensitive, you can do more damage. And you could make it where you are uh, a hindrance to them listening to you, but they might write off all Christians if you come across in the wrong way. And also as a church, we want to be welcoming to people. People come in and they have a, a cold reception. Somebody comes into church and their experience is somebody, you know, they sit down and like, you sat in my pew. They're, now they never come back. But if they come in and they're being welcomed, they're being cared for, and we're being sensitive to them, that's a helpful thing. So we want to avoid stumbling blocks. We want to avoid legalisms that put people off. I think we want to avoid just insider language that sometimes says, you know, we understand the, the lingo, but, oh, you're an outsider, you don't get this. We don't want to give offense. We don't want to make people feel unnecessarily awkward. So be friendly, but don't pressure people. Be patient. I think learning names is a really helpful thing, too, helping people feel welcomed. I'll say this, too. This is an idea. Work as a team. Sometimes we get the idea that all evangelism needs to be just you solo, um, and it can be. There are people where it can be a one-on-one. -on -one. But if you have somebody that you know and another Christian knows, why wouldn't you team up on them? Why wouldn't you both uh, work together? And sometimes it takes the fear part away. As we work together as a church, we're all working together as a team. I'm thankful for people that are going to be part of the, the trunk or treat outreach that are coming up in all kinds of different ways. And whether that's doing a station or bringing candy or just being here so that you can be friendly and build relationships with people. But on a Sunday morning too, uh, yeah, maybe I'm up here presenting the gospel with words, uh, but there are people that are part of the process, that are in the nursery caring for infants so that parents can come here and know that their kids are okay and they can focus on the word of God. And so we're all teamwork part of this process. Are you part of that work? Are you part of the church's mission with the gospel? And pray for God to work in hearts. Not just theirs, but ours. 
our heart to have more of a heart for the lost and, yes, for the lost. Because there are two elements in this. There's the Word of God and there's the Holy Spirit. And Scripture says that one plants, one waters, but God causes the growth. So we can proclaim, we can tell people the message, but ultimately God has to be the one that is going to cause that growth, that can change hearts. And he can change any heart, the hardest heart. So we do what we're called to do, and we pray for God to do what we can't do, and pray for him to be working. If we're going to be a healthy church, we need to have a heart to save the lost, and we need to have an outward focus. What else are you going to do that's going to last for eternity? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gospel by which we are saved. It is such good news that Christ came to die for sinners, that Christ died on the cross for us, for sinners, and that we're saved not by our good works, but by grace alone, received through faith alone. Lord, help us to have the heart that that Jesus had, that cares for the lost, to seek and save the lost. Help us to never... Uh, devolve into a, a mere clubhouse, but to have an outward focus to our community, to those that are around us as we care for people and help us with the Holy Spirit's power to seek and save the lost for the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.